A whole new world. A whole new world. That's what we'll see. That's what we'll see. For years I've found a one But they're out there One jumped in radio redshift One slipped the spectral lines They'll see if I can show them the signs Green men Ten five Take ten Just a little cash guys A hint, better face the facts. Second hand will have to do. Finding planets, except they haven't got one. Well, they gotta be forming readily when you think about it, given we've got nine. One jump, look the spectrum. One shift, just a second. One graph, theory power. They laugh, but I'm not sour. Here goes 18 months of data across the correlation. Welcome to this week's brand new episode of the Up for Discussion <laughs> podcast, the only show on the internet where we talk about the things we talk about in the order we talk about them. I'm Tom Zlotnick. I'm Tim Blay, and uh, we have a special guest coming to us, not live, but when you hear this, from Exeter in the UK. Welcome to Simon Clark. Hey, Simon. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. Yeah. We get to trade... Thoughts from across the spaces. Well, to be fair, this is probably the only trade what between Brexit and between everything that's happening on your continent. That's the only trade that's going to be happening this year. Oh yeah, so the, you know we've glo- got to make the most of it. The, the <laughs> whole globalization thing is is in the tank. Pretty soon, people are going to dive down into the deep sea and cut all the cables for the internet, and then yeah, we'll I still just... don't believe you when you talk about the internet being a bunch of cables underwater. Really. That it doesn't is. sound real to me. What did you think it was? How did you imagine it? Yeah. I think it's like, I, I don't know. I always picture it as being entirely wireless. Just like all satellites. Yeah. yeah. Well, isn't that what Elon Musk wants to do? Doesn't he want to do this sort of constellation of satellites where it's like beaming internet to everywhere in the world? I mean, it sounds like a very Musk thing to do, let's face it. But be, like, I, th- I think beaming internet to the whole world would perhaps, like, could you do it entirely with satellites? Would, would that be efficient? Well, it wouldn't be efficient, but I mean, and it wouldn't be fast, but it would definitely improve the access to how many hundreds of million people, you know, don't have access at the moment. Because oh, yeah, for sure. It, it, from an infrastructure perspective, it's definitely the, well, it's not like putting hundreds of tons of hardware in space is easy, but it's the easier option. Mm-hmm. But the internet is like, it's more than just the, like, those last connections to 
Mm. It's the people, right? Like it's it's all the interconnections between it that makes it work, and that everything is connected to everything else. I, I it's one of these things that I keep trying to research because I don't understand how the internet works, and every time I get to a, like a brick wall where I just don't understand it anymore. Mm. Um, and it, to me, there is just a certain component of it that is magic. It's like LaTeX <laughs> when I'm when I'm writing stuff up. Like there's just a certain point of it that's just like you know what I don't want to know. LaTeX it just, it works. is magic. Well, it's yeah. yeah, LaTeX is I mean, someone figured it out though. Don Don Newth or whatever his name was. It's Don Bluth, creator of an American tale and a bunch of other childhood movies. I would love if those were the same person, but they are not. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but like, so I, Simon, who are you? Because we haven't actually really introduced you. That's oh, true. Yeah. Sorry, I've just I've just wandered into the podcast. So I'm a PhD student in atmospheric physics at the University of Exeter, which is my sort of day job. And then on the side, I'm also a YouTuber where I do vlogs about being a PhD student. I also do some scientific content and book stuff, which is how we came, this came into being because I've worked with the great channel that is Acapella Science, a representative of of which I hear is in the room. Yes. Uh, And two representatives, kind of. I mean, we were all three of us on that video. Tom, who were you in the video? I was uh, William Wordsworth. That's it. Yeah. Ah, it's like right. what my first two lines, my first two words in my verse were the name of my character, and I forgot the name of my character. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And then, and then Simon, for those of you who don't realize already by his stunning accent, um, was George Airy <laughs> in that video. So if you go back and watch that, you can see, you know, his uh, his wonderful physique and flowing hair, um, and then you'll have a good sense of who you're talking to. Yeah, go, stop this right now. Go yeah. and watch it because it's an amazing video and it still needs more views. It does. So, but only you know, Simon's then come part. Back. That's, that's, that's yeah. all you need. <laughs> when you go on the analytics, I want to see a big spike in <laughs> just that little bit. And then and then Hank Green comes on and everyone's like, ah, no, forget it. Yeah. Like, I, I'm out. You know how many people couldn't find Hank in that video? That's surprising. <laughs> because they got to number. me and they were just like, ah, I'm out. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, this isn't, this isn't good. I thought I, I was promised <laughs> Hank. There was, there was Hank in the thumbnail. I've been cheated. They probably reported it. He did come in pretty late in the game. Yeah. Well, you've got to hold it back. You've got to hold the goods back, you know? Mm, it's like true. flirting with the audience. Yeah, that's what, you know, you, you don't want to put everything out immediately. You don't want to put your V sources and your Hank Greens out there right at the beginning. Mm. You've got to you gotta just, just tease them. Tease them with minor YouTubers like me. <laughs> it's true. You don't want to give them your Vsauce on the first day. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a good attitude for life. <laughs> well, Simon, speaking of flirting with your audience, once that video went out, I definitely had at least one female friend inquire about the cute British boy and ask me if he was single. What, did you have another British person in the video? Nope, nope, just you. Oh, oh. Well, I am not single, alas. I know, Sorry. I I, I, uh, I, think I already knew that at the time, so I had I had to <laughs> disappoint her. But well, at least it was a girl. The, uh, the vast majority of interactions I have online with people being like, are you single? Or in clubs, for that matter, like in real life, it's always guys. Jeez, that happens to me too. Me three. I'm like catnip for gays. I don't know what it is. I'm just, it's, it's, I, I, I just seem to attract gay guys, but not straight girls. And it's really frustrating. Do you, at least do you, you don't attract gay girls. That'd be probably the least useful. That would be impressive. Do you, do you get like marriage proposals from gay guys over the internet? Because that's like no the marriage the marriage proposals tend to be from girls. Interesting. I've noticed. I feel uh, like guys are just less committed apparently. Mm. <laughs> that could be. All of my marriage proposals have been from gay guys. I'm I don't really know why. Maybe maybe, maybe it's they the see singing. Me as... maybe, maybe it's a singing thing. Well, I guess you got to sing more then in your vlogs so that you can you know be get some unwanted marriage proposals. So you can get some of those gay guys who are ready for like a committed relationship with someone who really has a voice. <laughs> <laughs> How are they? One thing I want to ask you is 
Like you, you were saying all the things that you do and it's just mm-hmm. shockingly impressive. Like what you managed to pull <laughs> off in your day-to-day life. Like the fact that you're doing a PhD, generally people like curl up into a ball and do nothing else. And yet you like in your vlogs, you have all these, like you're, you're singing and you're, um, you're doing like game nights with your friends and you've got a like a good committed relationship. And then you're presumably spending like hours per day editing this vlog. And I want to know, how do you do that? Well, I mean, I, th- I think I'm trying to consciously not do what I did in my fourth year at Oxford, which was shut everything out and just work because right. it just didn't work for me. It, it was just a c- complete catastrophe. Um, and so when I started the PhD, I was very committed to having a work-life balance. And I think I'm one of these people that... Um, I thrived in a school environment because I did so many subjects and having other things to do meant that when I did focus on one subject, I did better at it because I don't know, it's, it's almost like I kidded myself into thinking it was less important because it was only one of several things I needed to do. So I didn't get stressed about it, which Mm. meant I did better. Um, And I feel like that's what I'm trying to do now. Admittedly now it's fewer things that I want to do. Basically it's, it's choir, YouTube, PhD and relationship. Those are the sort of the four big things. Um, So it's not like doing 12 subjects like in high school, Um, but, but and each one of them, I want to do extremely well, but at the same time, I feel like I do better having done the three other things than if I just did the one thing, like the PhD, on its own. Uh, which does make me nervous about leaving the PhD when I graduate and just doing YouTube. <laughs> uh, because then I'll suddenly just get really stressed about doing YouTube. That's true. That's something that I've found, actually, is that... Because I, I definitely did the shut myself in. Well, I shut myself in for the past the last two months of doing my master's thesis because I think I had I had strayed a little to the life in terms of work-life balance for the previous year. And then I wound up in a situation where I hadn't really figured out what I was doing and I had to just like stay in my room the whole time writing because it was a theoretical PhD, which was helpful or a theoretical master's. Um, But I think that sort of carried over into my my work in YouTube now where I have a tendency to like only focus on one thing at a time. So I'll spend two weeks doing nothing but sitting in my room editing and then when I'm done that, I'm so burnt out with that that I don't touch YouTube for two weeks and I like catch up on all my relationships. It's a weird pendulum back and forth. So I think your way is is a better way of trying to tackle it. I mean, you say that, I I definitely feel like the stress levels in my PhD, I I feel like I'm at the, the, the start of an exponential graph of stress uh, mm. and it's definitely going to pick up and pick up because i mean today i was i was i was sort of trying one of the components of the phd trying to do the theory behind it and thinking ah this just isn't working and i think maybe i've been wasting a lot of time on this and then i felt like almost like the stress meter consciously notched up by like another point mm. so you know maybe the, the work life balance is going to go out the window eventually but uh, well, uh, I mean, admittedly, at the time when I want to hand in, I don't have to sing. I've only got to sing for another like ten weeks of term, and then it's that's basically uh, finished. Um, well, it, so we'll we'll see. I think if you craft that habit of balance, though, in your day to day life, then maybe when it really comes to crisis mode, you can you can shut yourself in and do one thing. But at the end of it, hopefully, you'll be able to jump back into. Uh, some sort of normalcy if you'll still remember how yeah well i feel like you uh, doing lots of things at once is compartmentalizing your life on a short-term basis within a day you know you're you're saying oh this is the time when i'm gonna do exercise this is the time when i'm gonna do work um and i feel like 
it helps you in the long term as well and that you say well this is a month when i'm going to focus solely on this thing and then after that then you are you're able to put that behind you and put it in a box and sort of put it up on the shelf for another month you know before coming back to it yeah so, totally <clears throat> that's it's, like, it's discipline. that's a balance that i've found where i'm doing too much also and uh one of the things that i appreciate a lot is that the improv stuff that i do comes in seven week chunks and there's always a couple weeks in between so i can always kind mm. of count on like Right, everything is crazy right now, but in like less than seven weeks, I get a break for a bit. Yeah, which is which is definitely how uh, that was something that uh, going to Oxford teaches you because the thing with Oxford and Cambridge is that they do very short terms of eight weeks, hmm. but they're the most intense <laughs> things imaginable. Uh, so you know you, you do you you work in sprints rather than in marathons like most universities, uh, which has definitely proved useful because you do come to points in life where you do have like an eight or seven week chunk and you need to get work done, but you know it's like the promise of grass being greener once you get over to the other side of the hill. Um, that it's definitely coming useful in life so it was horrible at the time but i'm glad i did it well especially when you're trying to do that back to back like you've just gone through those eight weeks of hell here's another eight weeks yay yeah and, and the best thing about doing it at, like at oxbridge is that they say oh here's eight weeks and then you get six weeks off but um in those six weeks you're also expected to work so <laughs> you know it's just like 100 percent intensity versus you know 80 percent intensity mm. uh which you know is hell that that wasn't that healthy yeah, for sure. I often I often think that that's kind of the the one thing about being in school, right, is that you have these periods of intensity and then periods of breaks. And I wonder if that is like better or worse than say what I do, which is the same thing 365 days a year, right? Where it's like sure mm-hmm. there's going to be times that feel slightly more intense, but actually my workload is really consistently the same. I wonder which of those is better for you. Well, I feel like it depends on who you are as a person. You know, mm. if if you are a person who likes to work just consistently, get into a routine, mm. which you know that's basically what most people do. It's a nine to five job, right? Um, with the occasional breaks, um, and I feel like that that suits a lot of people because it allows you to get into a routine. I feel like for possibly for more creative types, um, you know, like Tim and I, maybe maybe that so it works better in chunks and in blasts because you get an idea or um what's it Hank Green calls it is it is it mind crack brain crack brain crack well you get yeah you get something into your, into your head and then you just have to do it and you and you, you know you just you just motor it for however long that takes and then once it's done you need a break mm. um but I feel like that's a product of the way that certain brains are wired right. you know well I'm I'm not sure if it's so much how certain brains are wired or just the necess- like creative things have that necessity to them right where you've there's something about it that you've captured in your brain as the entire thing like it's almost like you can see it finished and then it's almost a race against losing it because i find the Mm. longer that i spend on a project the less perspective i have and it's like a race against time before i start hating it and it's like i don't know do you find that um yeah and no i mean i definitely have got to the point where on a few video projects, I just want it to be finished. <laughs> um, interestingly, that doesn't really seem to happen if it's going out for me. If mm. I'm doing it for somebody else, I will lose interest far more quickly than if it's something that I, you know, it was my idea and it's something that's going out on my channel. Um, but I, I don't tend to view it as like a ticking time bomb. But definitely, it just, you know, it, it um, uh, sidelines you completely uh, when you, you just realize I'm bored of this i'm gonna go and play civilization for five hours <laughs> yeah i get that um, anytime i take on a commission from someone i try to be as clear as possible going into it how long it's supposed to take so that there's no hmm. part of me that like 
you know, has to work an extra week longer than expected and then gets really tired of it. Yeah, I mean, that whole thing, because I mean, I, I want to move into sort of commission things. I'm basically mm-hmm. transitioning from one form to the other. But in the, with a PhD, it's basically like a very, very badly paid job right. for three or four years. <laughs> so I'm expected to be there for, you know, nine till six or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, no, and basically, when I, you have to work whatever hours you have to work to get the job done. And then they yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, over the, over the course of the project, it generally works out as being kind of like office hours, mm-hmm. I found. Um, but then going when I leave, I want to do video commission stuff. And it's going to be really interesting transitioning into, you know, actually having actually having free time in the you normally when I do a burst and a creative thing now, um, like a video that might take a couple of weeks to do, I will finish it and go, ah, Right. Okay. Back to work. You know, doing yeah. the PhD. Um, I'm. I'm. The idea of having time that's completely off is totally alien to me, and has been for the past twenty years. <laughs> so, you know, it's gonna be. It's gonna be very interesting uh, adapting to you know a more creative kind of method of working. Well, that, but you know, it's exciting. I suppose that's something that you get more of as like. Are you planning to do sort of like a freelance career of? Like, yeah, I wanted to. Um, I've. I've got a production company. Um sort of set up which is just me but maybe take on other people um and do things specializing in higher education filmmaking Mm. um so promoting universities making uh content for them doing presenting so i did some presenting work for a bbc educational series um a little while back uh as well as doing stuff for my channel and trying to grow that on its own Mm -hmm. i I wonder if your prediction is going to be right that you end up with free time because what I have found is <laughs> yeah, that I have, that's true. I have less time now, perhaps, than I did through most of school. Um, granted, you know, you already do everything, so I imagine you don't have any free time now. But when you're, <laughs> you know, when you when you're doing a freelance or like a YouTube job, like you you pretty much just have to. It's you have to work as hard as you need to to get paid, right? So yeah, you set your own hours. Um, so any time you don't work is time that you're consciously depriving yourself of money. But at the same time, that's surely when it's most important to dedicate, you know, say, I'm going to take this time off every evening. Because if you don't, give, as, as true as saying, if you don't work, you don't get paid. Mm-hmm. It's just as true to say, if you don't give yourself time off, nobody else is going to give you time off. Yeah. yeah. And also, if you don't give yourself time off, you will work badly. Mm. Yeah. It's, I guess it's about finding the balance of taking the right amount of time off so that you're still getting everything done, but you're also you know, not killing yourself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also living within your means. Like, it's, I've, I've found that if I were to, like, live in complete comfort, I would have to work harder than I can right now or, like, work more hours than I physically can. But if I... Yeah still live like a student then i can live comfortably and then get some time off and have you know relationships with my friends and family so it's also like deciding what kind of yeah what kind of life you're comfortable with on the day-to-day yeah and that evolves over time you know i feel like that that there's there's an interesting kind of non-linear relationship between all the, the you know the, the how, how much you work how much you spend how much time you you put into you know those two things respectively mm. So you're uh, like when you when you get into video production, are you is the YouTube like channel going to be a big part of that? Do you think, or are you uh, are, is that sort of do, well, you, do you view that as more of like a training run? I mean, I, it's definitely something that I want to continue. It's it's not just something that I'm gonna drop. Um, I think realistically, I can't view it as as being my main source of income. Mm. 
you know, um, because I, I am of a relatively small size. I'm, you know, closing in on 70,000 subscribers now, um, which means that in terms of AdSense revenue, I earn uh, what I think is technically defined as a pittance. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes, it's, a, you know, it's it. AdSense is grossly insufficient. Uh, but admittedly, it is January, so it's a terrible month to sort of, you know, base base your data off of. Mm-hmm. But, you know, looking at what I'm earning at the moment, it's no way that I could survive on how much I'm earning a day. So mm. what, the, the dream would be to get to the point where the channel does make enough money that I can solely focus on it. Because it's a distribution network that I have complete control over. You know, I don't have to send ideas to be approved to somebody else. Mm. I don't have to work for somebody else. Because I think, actually, the most valuable thing I've learned about my phd is that i really value the autonomy that comes with it ah. so you know the, having to work for somebody else is something i kind of want to avoid because you know other people are idiots so <laughs> i like I, I i like working for me because i know what works um with this format you know so uh, yeah i'd like to get it to that point but i feel realistically i ha- i will be taking on commissions from other people hmm. um like like the university for example is interested in me doing you know regular material for them uh, mm-hmm. and and there's there's so many universities in the uk that you know if if you play your cards right you you, you know you're not going to be short for work mm. uh so that's sort of that that's i i imagine is going to be the majority of my income at least to begin with whilst i still try and build the the channel up yeah i was talking to to henry from minute physics about this a while back um and he was saying that like he in in the early days of his channel he like he tried to do it full time but then he had to take on a lot of commissions as well um mm. and he also like he worked for Freddie Wong as like an intern for a while so i guess he kind of did the you know be a video producer for other people full time and then do your stuff on the side but one thing yeah. that i took from him was that he said well whenever possible try to do a commission <clears throat> that also ends up like as something that you can do on your own channel mm. and like often you can often you can work it so this person just wants just wants this video out there and then if you say well i could i could put it on my channel then it's you know you get two at once mm. yeah um i suppose the other the other thing is that from a purely financial perspective i realize this must be very dull for anybody who's not a youtuber um <laughs> sorry um we apologize but, you, know, the, 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 you know if they're interested yeah, if you in are us, a youtuber keep listening uh you know the other angle is how you make your money from it because obviously adsense isn't the only way to do that you know you because you have a patreon yeah uh, and patreon now, works right? wonders for me because my projects are so like labor intensive but then it shows so when when it comes yeah. out everyone's like oh this must have taken a ton of work this guy deserves some money so like it, i think like my channel you have you have just surpassed me in terms of actual subscribers which I find fun. Yeah, I had a late surge. Yeah, which was, it was completely bizarre. It's, uh, it's you. You decided to be, you know, um, Oxford Casey Neistat, and it paid off. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the comment I, I keep getting. Like, <laughs> you know, new Casey Neistat, and it's like, well, I mean, I have like a thousand times fewer followers than him, but apart from that, yeah, no, but but you're a thousand <laughs> times cuter than him, so you've got that going for you. <laughs> I, I, I love the guy, but Casey, he doesn't have a face for television. Nope. He has a face for radio, is my mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's great. You know, but not, I, but he, he discovered something that worked, right? And uh, I, I feel like like the people yeah. realized that, that that format where you actually do follow someone for a long period of time and like, like intimately understand what their life is like, that's what, you know... That's what makes that person interesting. But there's sort of a lot of theoretical aspects to it I find very interesting, which are sort of the way that Casey's vlogs 
are put together. The reason he is so good at it is because he realizes that vlogs are a personal narrative, but that the personal narrative only works in a broader context. Mm. So you will see him talking to camera about as frequently as you will see New York or wherever it is that he's going. Yeah. You know, um, you are able to place his narrative temporarily because of the sort of the daily nature of the project. You have enough data points to be able to sort of look at his trajectory. But also spatially, he makes you very aware of where he is and what his surroundings, you know, mm. between the two of them, it allows you to have, um, you know, a, a personal narrative which works. And the I, I, I love talking about this. Do you stop me if this gets boring? Um, no, this is actually this fascinating. Is something this is something that I did with the Oxblog project, which is a project where we got um, a bunch of students from across Oxford University, from all the different colleges and um, across year groups and across subjects to do um, personal videos uh, and all upload them to a collaboration uh, channel called Oxblog. Um, and the, the personal narrative works because it's it's aimed at young people. When we were making videos for Oxblog, it was aimed at people who were applying to Oxbridge, you know, going to college. Um, and so it was people who were under 18 and typically used a lot of technology, mm. which meant that people are used to engaging with a personal narrative through things like Snapchat um, and, and Facebook and Twitter. And, you know, people are creating as much video now as they are consuming just, mm. you know, on a throwaway mm. basis. Yeah. So he's tapped into... That the idea of the personal narrative and somebody handholding rather than it being like a steady cam following him, like something like, I don't know, long way round or whatever. But he does it interestingly in that he manages to weave that in with a professional production where he will put the camera and place it down, walk away, and then walk back towards it. Um, yeah. You know, so he, he, um, he sort of mer merges the really effective way of doing guerrilla filmmaking mm -hmm. uh, and having a personal narrative, which is what Oxlog was all about, was about an honest boots on the ground perspective and it having this honesty to it because it's poorly made. Um, he's managed to communicate that same sort of personal honesty within a more professional framework. And that's kind of the cue that I'm trying to do with, with what I do now. Um, you know it's sort of trying to meld the two together and it, it seems to be working yeah that's really interesting and i think it's like a lot of a lot of styles that that rise up and become really prominent for a little while like vlogging for a while was its own thing um and it's it's similar to what i see happening a lot with like musical size like say dubstep for a while there were things that were just mm. dubstep um and now there isn't so much like no one listens to just dubstep anymore but it's pervaded everything else and it's like if you it's listen to pop production, now. then ev you know everyone's bringing in these elements of this new thing that people discovered, and they're merging it with everything they knew before, and it makes the the new thing that much more interesting. So I feel like maybe what's happening with vlogging now, with like these, with like what you're doing, is very similar, right? It's an evolution of the style, and it, and, it, and it only happens, it only evolves when it becomes totally saturated. Mm. And I feel like that's what happened with vlogging in the first place. Just somebody in their room talking to a camera um, got totally saturated on YouTube. There were just so many people doing it um, that you know people stopped watching, and people had to innovate to stand out. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing about so it, about it being being so saturated is that all of a sudden it becomes a cultural universal, right? Like everybody knows what vlogging feels like. And then hmm. when you put in something that even gives the feeling of a vlog into a larger project, then it still it still retains that sense. But all of a sudden, it's more interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it's it's well. I suppose the big question is what on earth are people going to do next? Because <laughs> I get you know I get the impression that 
the the Casey or or what I do style of doing things is now it's it's maybe not everywhere it's not universal but it's definitely becoming more common yeah, yeah. um and it's it's sort of trying to second guess what what the next innovation is going to be yeah. um and, I, and in a way you're getting to the point now where people share so many details of their lives that the next step is you start worrying about almost like a black mirror type situation where you know you're worrying about the the ethics of what the next thing could be to try and get people in mm. um i don't know it's yeah yeah it's interesting do you have any thoughts on like like if you could if you could go 5 years in the future and see what online video has become what do you think you're going to see well i mean the, a lot of people seem to think that it's going to be you know 3d that vr is going to be the next big thing um, which I don't personally buy because of the way that we consume media. Mm-hmm. Um, most, you know, there's an increasing amount of video that's being consumed on people's phones rather than on people's laptops or even on TVs. Um, and I feel like that means that it's not going to be VR and it's not going to be 3D. Equally, I feel like increased resolution isn't 4K isn't going to be everywhere mm-hmm. um, because on a mobile screen, who cares? And also, you know, the amount of data the data speed you need to be able to do 4k just isn't going to be everywhere um which means that it's it's almost like what cinema did for quite a few decades where technologically things didn't change much it was just an evolution of the style um and you know you could look at something like vlogging as being like the cinema verite movement Mm. um and you know and then what happened after that was uh i mean that was sort of when you got a lot of quite serious films, you know, things like Taxi Driver and things like that, mm. um, that, that came in, and it and that was just and that was like a fashion for gritty realism stemming from ultra realism, mm. you know, from from cinema verite. So maybe um, we're going to start seeing people doing vlog type formats, but putting more of the professional, uh, more and more of the professional content in there, and more and more the professional production almost to the point where you could have a situation where oh what was the name of the channel back in the day there was a fake vlogging channel does this ring any bells lonely girl 15 yes that was it um that might be the way that things are going to go is that people would do uh that kind of thing but with a a starting with a you know a a vlogger type thing within a a more professional framework but then it becomes more and more professional as the series goes on Mm. um almost like a lizzie bennett diaries kind of thing um yeah, I wonder but, if that's because people know. keep sort of like with the Lizzie Bennet Diaries and, and Lonely Girl, like I, I feel like people keep experimenting with that. But so far, they all seem to be one offs. Like they'll do that project and, and people will say, oh, that's that's so interesting. This is going to launch a whole new genre. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't. And I wonder if 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 there is like a a thing there that can like can move into an entire genre or whether there's something about the style of vlogging where you really do want to know that what you're seeing is authentic. Well, that's the appeal, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the, um, the, the appeal of vlogging is the idea that you, you can trust what somebody is saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and to go back to the stuff with Oxlog, this is why I started doing it. it was because the problem with college and in particular it is Oxbridge because they're 900 year old institutions and people kind of inherently just don't trust them. Um, you know, what, what the official university is saying. The idea of hijacking a format that takes honesty is like the, the, the highest prized sort of virtue um, and is evidenced by the low production values, by the shaky camera, by the slightly bad audio. Um, you know, that's what people, that's why people watch because it is mm. different. Um, so that's why I feel like vlogging things like Lizzie Bennett or like um, Lonely Girl uh, won't 
come again. That's why I feel like maybe it's the the halfway house between vlogging and professional. You know, the the personal um, narrative combined with the professional um, uh, production values that could be the, the way forward. Yeah, but to be honest, I'm but, I'm a I'm terrible at doing predictions. So <laughs> well, <laughs> every, everyone is, you know, yeah. if you look at this past year, I think that's that's pretty much everywhere. <laughs> that uh, that actually yeah. that resonates with me a lot as uh, as I'm sort of starting to take my feet back into YouTube a little bit. Um, the sort of the angle that I approach this from is kind of almost the opposite of the KC Neistat angle, where it's you know very professional realism. I almost prefer when things are like very obviously not legit and kind of poking fun at the platform that they're on, if that makes sense. Like mm. for me, there's something fun about like doing something that is essentially nonsense, improvised nonsense, and then trying to create a narrative out of it in post. Hmm. Well, it's it's raising awareness of the format um, that you're viewing something in. It's hmm. a very Tarantino way of looking at things, like how he will take you out of a movie in Pulp Fiction or in, or in any of his films, and there'll be like a title card. Yeah. And it's a slap in the face to say, you are watching a movie. None of this is real. <laughs> right. Um, and I've, and that's you know that's one angle at doing things. Personally, I prefer things to completely absorb you in the moment, hmm. um, and to, and a, a more naturalistic style of, of filmmaking. Sure, but it, you know it's a personal preference. Um, different strokes for different folks. Yeah, I I kind of wonder though if all of this push toward naturalism and realism is going to lead to kind of a revolt in people where they decide like okay now I want things to be really intentionally like not that right. Like is when Tim but asked that's about how the most, future. That is how most media is. That, I mean, sure. it, I mean, if you look at if you look at the biggest, um, the, the the most successful form of video production, it's you know Hollywood cinema, and it's things like Marvel, it's things like Michael Bay mm. that are, you know, so obviously not real, um, and particularly Michael Bay because. You know, it's like everything's just been dialed to eleven, and in a <laughs> way, that's almost certainly why it's so successful. Because people, because it is so ridiculous, people just say, "Oh, I can switch my brain off. This isn't, you know, this isn't real. This isn't going to affect me. Um, you know, this is just escapism." Um, so maybe, maybe that it'll just be a flip flop between you know different uh, media. It'll be for going from films to YouTube or to television. Um, which is it? TV is the interesting one, of course, because that's actually transitioning from being one to being the other. Mm. Um, you know, and, and things like uh, Netflix sort of taking on qualities of YouTube in that it's video on demand, but at the same time being very highly produced content. Right. Um, you know, if you watch The Crown, it's basically no different from watching a Hollywood film, but you're watching it in a format on your screen that you're used to watching. Um, you know, people talk in their bedrooms. Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's a really interesting drift going on there, I think. And I wonder, mm -hmm. I wonder if it's drifting towards a, a mean because you've got you've got Netflix sort of taking TV to a little bit more of what you would see on YouTube, and then you've got YouTube Red, which is turning YouTube into yeah. more of what you see on Netflix. Um, and at some point, maybe there will be just a stability that develops where there's a certain amount of variation. People are doing all these different styles, but we have an idea of what's normal. But but I feel like at that point, that's when there's an opening in the canopy and something else will emerge. Um, you know, the, the, these things exist for a reason because there's demand for it. Um, and I feel like those two products in particular are trending towards each other. And it's something that I kind of wish YouTube didn't do, but I can understand why it does. Um, I feel like as soon as it tends a little bit too far and it goes over a precipice, then something will, there'll be a competitor that will emerge. Because that's the thing with online video. You know, there's there's 
in terms of just video, not like highly produced things, there's no competitor to YouTube, really. Mm. Um, and maybe it would be a good thing if there was suddenly some alternative that was very intentionally, well, I suppose, you know, you could say Live Leak maybe fulfills this, where it's, you know, it's very not produced. It is very just, you know, as captured in camera. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, well, I want, to, it, I want to talk about more about the philosophy of YouTube in a moment, but we need to um, break to... Uh, plug our patreon i think um so if oh, you, of course if you go to listeners if you go to patreon.com slash up for discussion um you can support this show and keep us running and keep the the lights on on the soundcloud page um and uh if you've pledged more than five dollars you get the opportunity to like ask us questions and stuff and sort of steer the direction of the show um, so, Tom, do we have a question? We do. This week's Patreon question comes from Kenny, who wants to know, uh, since we're all YouTubers kind of finding our way in this world, how do we want to be perceived by the audience? Hmm. Which I think is kind Ooh. of a broad question, but we can talk about that. And yeah. So, so like, I think what I, what I would take from that question is, what, like, what is our purpose for being on this platform, right? Like, like what is what is the perception that we're trying to give to people and like like maybe more broadly what's the point um i mean this reminds me of the whole funeral questions thing i don't know if you have you ever done this exercise where you imagine uh what you'd want people to say at your funeral okay i've never done uh, it but that sounds interesting i certainly think about being dead a lot <laughs> <laughs> are you sure you're not a phd student <laughs> uh, uh, you know, the, the idea being that, you know, it allows you to focus on what you view as being important in life. Mm. Um, again, it was something that I did a, a couple of months ago. And, you know, it's, it's actually I'd encourage people listening and, and you guys to, to do it because it is actually quite interesting. You know, it actually means you examine yourself. I feel like what I got out of it was what, um, the purpose of me being on YouTube was to try and help people improve themselves uh, and that started out with being helping people to get into Oxbridge and to make the most of their education but now it's um, in terms of the scientific content it's getting people educated about issues that I think are important so like climate change for example mm. um, and understanding the world in a scientific way and trying to combat ignorance um, and that's sort of the purpose of that but at the, but then also I do content which is just purely to entertain people um, via what I have been assured as a sparkling personality <laughs> um, uh, you know and and so it, it's sort of that mix of it's it's like um the old BBC adage which was inform educate entertain that's kind of what I view my purpose on the platform as being um and now a lot of people are throwing in the comments that it's sort of motivational and everything like that and i feel like that's kind of becoming more of a more of a purpose to it now as well hmm. i th- i think yeah for you you there, there's there's an element especially in that first vlog that blew, blew up of your frustration um and that like that like honesty of like how difficult this is with the entire you know 25 minutes being my code isn't working my code isn't working and at the end <laughs> my code still isn't working like that's that 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 honesty of telling people like this is this is really how it is I think is really valuable. Hmm. But what about you? Um, I don't, how do what's my point for doing this? It's funny I've I've been thinking about this as I wonder how to um, like expand the the range of the stuff that this YouTube channel covers because I I started out almost in a kind of selfish way with this YouTube project just wanting to do something that really made me feel good um and and like do 
do something that that would actually engage all these parts of me that I thought I I couldn't get into one place. Um, now I think that I'm I'm getting more interested in similarly like how can I how can I use this platform to bring ideas to people who would normally not be exposed to them. So how like that because that's that's the genius of of music or like musical education as an art form is that it's it's a way in right um so to what am i trying to say um to to figure out a way to to like these things that i i would be interested in or like realizations that i've had but that have taken me a like having sort of a deep curiosity into a subject or like spinning around it trying to figure it out for a very long time once you get to that nugget of truth i want to be able to bring that to people so that they can get that kind of as as the starting point and then it can like disseminate into a good part of the population so i sort of i see myself almost a little bit as like a um a miner or something where i i try to go into the depths of the information that i have access to as someone who's been like interested in science my whole life and find the gems that nobody else can find because they're way down there in the tunnels and then bring them up to the surface and polish them off and make them really shiny so that everybody can see that they're like sparkling and they're right there in front of them. Yeah, I, I get that actually. It's yeah, I, I I feel like that's similar to how I feel about it. But instead of musical ideas, it's it's scientific ideas. You know, the idea that you have to go through so much education to come across them, and then yeah, you're, yeah. you're holding it aloft and saying, "Look what I found. This is cool. I can tell you all about it." Yeah. Um, and I can. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I can. I can bring it to you without you having to slog through all this thing so that then you can start with that and you can go off in more interesting directions <laughs> and find new ideas that I don't have. It's like, I did the research for you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you, Tom? What's your purpose, Tom? Yeah. yeah. So as like, I don't really do educational content. I, I mean, I work with Tim on Hackapella Science, but for my own stuff, I think my purpose is more to, I guess, just kind of make people laugh at the base of it right Mm. like i do improv comedy i'm i don't you know i don't necessarily seek to make people feel things every time i don't necessarily seek to make people like think they came away from it learning something i really just want to put stuff out there that makes people like laugh and enjoy themselves for a bit uh and i like to try and find ways to make that i guess true to the human experience at the same time Mm. which i think is a lot of what improv is about right it's taking it's taking real life situations and finding the things that can go wrong in them and playing with those things. So, yeah. 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 I think like one thing that I like about your particular brand of humor is that also there's sort of, there's sort of a realism to it because you have like you, your brand of humor is, is occasionally kind of angry. Sure. Like it, it goes off in these, these sudden dark places. And I think that's a really interesting look at, like what is what is the mind of a comedian or like mm. like when when you're be, when when things are funny it's not necessarily that everything's funny it's that like you're finding the humor in it right yeah because things go wrong and you're like shit this went wrong i spilled the food i was cooking all over the floor i need to react <laughs> to this now or you know that this went wrong in my life and i need to process it and work through it i think comedy a lot of comedy is the comedian's working through their issues in a public (laughs) forum. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think similar to Tim, like I do this kind of out of a place of like 
it needing to be done in order for me to survive. Mm. Uh, but then I hope that it, you know, I hope that it brings a moment of joy to people in their day to see me suffer, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, Simon, like talking more about the, the perception part of the question, would you say mm. that you like, would you say that you can, you can tell like a, a big difference between the person you are to your audience and the person you are like, would you, would you say that, yeah, that there is, is an element of persona in what you do? I get asked this surprisingly frequently, actually. Um, and I have on occasion been told by my friends, oh, you've switched to your YouTube voice. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I do view YouTube as being, it's performance. Um, you know, it's it's like, uh, my background in terms of performance is uh, public speaking. Mm -hmm. And I've always viewed it as being just like getting up on a stage and telling a story and giving a keynote or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like, it's a necessary thing to do in that situation to create a persona as a form of defense. So if things go wrong or if you get heckled or whatever, it's not you they're attacking, it's this straw man that you've created, <laughs> mm. this facade. Um, and I feel like I've sort of just subconsciously carried that over into YouTube. It's not a significant difference. Um, it's mostly, I think, a difference in how I talk and how I phrase things. Um, in real life, when I talk to people, I'm actually, I stumble and mumble a lot. Um, I'm not very confident. I I, I, I will ram, ramble all of a sudden. And then I, I'm basically a lot more erratic than I am on YouTube. Okay. Um, as soon as you put a camera on me, I suddenly seem to become a lot more sort of calm and collected. <laughs> um, it, it's almost like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, but in terms, you know, in, in terms of the the interests and the things that I find interesting and the things that I'm thinking are all the same. Um, I think it's mostly just the way in which I communicate them, but possibly with the exception of generally being a bit more optimistic in my videos <laughs> than I am in real life. And also in real life, I swear like a trooper. Uh, I, whenever I'm whenever I'm doing video or anything official, I have to sort of consciously dial it back and be like, no, don't say that. That's a nasty word. Don't say that. Um, it's like training to be a dad, you know? Like if, <laughs> if you see a dad and they're around their kid, they're all nice and polite and optimistic. And it's like, oh, it's all right. You can try better tomorrow. And then they go back into the other room and they're just like, well, I won't say it. You, you, <laughs> can, you can swear on this show if it's... <laughs> but no, uh, depending whether like you want to share this with, to... with your own people. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I get but, that, yeah, though. That's, I feel, I, I've, I feel like it's basically the same person, though. It's just a slight. Maybe maybe it's just like a a certain subset. But it's, it's that person space. sort of cleaned up for TV, right? It's like when you yeah yeah. I feel I feel like that's, that's true. Put on a put on a nice set of clothes and you comb your hair to go out. It's like you're you're, you're <laughs> <Yeah>. presenting <laughs> yourself well, for this for this. It's audience. like being a teacher. You know, like <laughs> if you're a teacher, you don't act as yourself in front of the kids, mm -hmm. unless you you're know, a really you cool have... teacher. <laughs> yeah, no. and you're doing high school. You just don't care anymore, and you're just like, oh. I'm hungover, guys. Let's watch a video. <laughs> but I think that's the that's the thing about great great teachers and great public speakers is that they have that way of putting the parts that are really truest in themselves into this persona, but they're doing it in a way that you can just focus on that, mm. right? So instead of me focusing on oh Simon's Simon's like cursing every second word or Simon's rambling off on how much he likes I don't know. Battlestar or whatever it is. Um, it's, it's Warhammer. He likes Warhammer. <laughs> right. You watched that video. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, if, you know, you strip that part, those parts away and all of a sudden I can focus on the things that you really want to communicate, which are true parts of yourself. Yeah, I feel like I'd, I'd, I may have made a, a grave error in talking about Warhammer. Well, to be fair, <laughs> it's, it's not like people thought I wasn't geeky to begin with. 
Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's like hardcore geekery. Or at least it is yeah. over in this country. That's like serious hardcore geekery. No, yeah, that's pretty hardcore here, too. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> let, your, let your geek flag fly, mm. right? Like, Tim and I are both huge geeks, but neither of us is a huge enough geek for Warhammer. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> There's only so many things I mean, you can... I, I, I have a feeling that I would be into a lot more geeky th- geeky things if I just had time for them. Mm-hmm. Like, I always... Pe- people are always saying, like, oh, you would you would be super into this, or, like, you would love this particular geeky subgenre or this, like, really complicated game that you could get into and spend your life. Like, we have a friend who, every once in a while, tries to introduce us to Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always mm. really fun, but I just can't help thinking that this is... Oh, this is going to... This could take over my life and if it's I a, let it. It's a money sinkhole, too, which was actually the only reason I never got into Warhammer, <laughs> was because, like, those miniatures are not cheap. <laughs> yeah, um, they had they did a magazine for the Lord of the Rings miniatures, which is how I started. Mm. Um, you know, and it was like a you pay a certain amount of, of, I think it was a week, and you got, and they were, like, half price. So nice. I, I snuck in in terms of the, in terms of the price, you know, obstacle um but I, that's me though with um with tv shows and films um there are so many tv shows that i've been told i need to watch and i just don't have time i basically don't watch anything anymore um you know my, my life is entirely creating things and then uh sleeping <laughs> basically you know either creating my thesis i'm making music i'm making videos uh, I try and read, and that's why I started doing book, book videos was to try and encourage myself to read. Mm. Um, but yeah, basically, I just don't have time to do any of that. I'm much more interested in making than I am in, you know, consuming. So mm-hmm. where do you where do you get new ideas from then? Because I find that the thing that feeds me the most creatively is to consume a lot. So if you're not watching uh, TV, like where do you what do you consume the most? I guess. I mean, the thing. Well, the thing I consume the most is YouTube. Mm. You know, for sure. Um, I'll actually will dedicate time to, 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 you know, to keep up with my favorite creators. Um, I, I feel like my ideas, scientifically, you kind of get ideas from reading around. You mm-hmm. know, I, I can get that. But I feel like in terms of the type of videos that I want to make, it, 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 they're mostly actually inspired by people suggesting things in the comments <laughs> or just my thought processes as I'm editing. Right. Um you know, it, it, it's something that sort of happens relatively spontaneously. It's almost it's almost self-sustaining. Yeah, interesting. Really. You've sort of bootstrapped yourself um, into yeah. perpetual content. <laughs> but it's all, it's all different kinds of content. Uh, like I actually have a, a document um, which has video ideas, uh, which I have how many? Twenty-seven uh, ideas to do, uh, including well, what have I got? Uh, making a computer out of coconuts. I really want to. I really want to try and make logic gates out of coconuts and bamboo, and wow. see if you could theoretically make a computer out of um, like the materials you find on a, on a desert island, and just do like a simple four-bit addition kind of um, algorithm. Right. Hold on, uh, a simple four-bit addition, That's... well, as opposed to a complicated eight-bit addition. Well, but four-bit addition yeah, it... has a lot of log- logic circuits in it. Yeah, I know, but I've got a lot of time. Well, I will after I finish. <laughs> wow, have you have you seen Matt Parker's uh, computer made out of dominoes? No, I need to watch that. Yeah, that's a that that's like good. a good half hour video, but he goes through the entire like pretty much all of logic circuits, and that's what he does. He he like they fill a huge museum hall with dominoes, trying to add two four digit numbers. Um, <laughs> How many times does he knock it over in the process? Um, I don't think they 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 were they were really smart about it. Um, now whether he gets it right, and w- whether the logic gate actually works, well, you're gonna have to go watch the video. <laughs> 
Yeah, wow. I've made a note of that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's one idea I've got. Uh, like, teaching myself a programming language is like an example to other people. Mm. I've actually got a video in the can, which I'm really excited to release, about brain circuitry. I went to a um, mm. neurophysiology lab in London, uh, looking where there was, they were looking at individual neurons and measuring currents across them, and um, whether you could replicate a human brain in mm. electric, electronic circuits. And the fact that you can't is kind of interesting. Have you considered doing a video on the can? On on the can, like oh, that was suggested, wasn't it? Yes, um, the can being the toilet is that that might not be a yeah. slang that oh, translates. Crap, yeah, no, 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 no. It, no it, it was it was suggested <laughs> that I should do just a oh next next week would be taking a shit as a PhD student, <laughs> just uh, twenty five <laughs> minutes of your face. Yep. All right. Just, the you know, the video leading up out. to it can be eating Mexican food as a PhD student. So PhD that Oh, um, oh yeah, the one the one I really want to do because uh, I have I have like I've, I've grouped these into ridiculously ambitious ones and just regular videos. Mm. One of the ridiculously ambitious ones is I really want to try and make a human Newton's cradle. Oh uh, wow! Where have you ever been zorbing? Yeah, I've, I have I have not been zorbing, but I was wondering how you were going to get people to bounce off each other. I don't that, know what a Newton's yeah, cradle how... is, and I don't know what zorbing is. Okay, so it's Newton's Newton's so, cradle is also also known as Newton's balls. Um, it's it's this. That's that is, um, that is these, these that's rather different. Five balls that are si- sitting like, like oh, on they, little strings they and they clack clack clack, clack clack yeah yeah clack clack clack. So uh, and zorbs zorbing is like where you put a human in a giant plastic inflatable ball. Oh, okay. Um, mm. And there's different variants. You can have the full body zorb, which is that you are in a sphere, or you can do what I did when I went on a stag do, which was uh, do zorb football, right. where you have a zorb covering you from like your kind of mid femur upwards, um, so you can run into people and you can deck them, and nobody feels anything. <laughs> yeah. So what you could do is put yourself on a harness uh, and put like five people in a row, all in these these zorbs <laughs> that cover them for most of their body, and just swing one of them into the other. And, you know, <laughs> then you can do things on 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 momentum. You can have people with different uh, weights. So, you know, you have the you have me. I'm quite a chunky guy. Uh, if I, if you put me in a zorb and you raise me up and you clack me into my housemate, who's like a fifty pound manlet, um, you know, he's going to go flying. And you know, there's all kinds of momentum things you could do with it. Huh. Uh, so, have you done like the the theoretical calculations on this with like the, the- efficiency of absorb collisions and stuff like that oh well i mean that's the thing that's an interesting point that you could just put in to be like well we're assuming that they're you know 100 percent elastic mm. but you know obviously they're not so you know our predictions are going to be a little bit off and then you could you could do like a galilean canon canon type thing right where you have like the largest person clacks into a series of smaller people and at the end you have a baby who flies like 30 feet <laughs> yeah i mean Oh, your mind works very differently to mine. Uh, <laughs> that might not be legal. Well, fine. Not a baby. A yeah. small person. A small boy. My housemate would be perfect. He's yeah. a very small person. <laughs> uh, well, that's something to do. Yeah, Galilean Cannon. Canada. A 50-pound manlet. <laughs> so manlet is one of my favorite words at the moment. Because my, one of my best friends, is um, he's in the military police here. And he's about six foot five. And to use a local phrase, he's built like a brick shithouse. <laughs> And he's he's just like he's he's insanely wide and very bulky, and he calls people who are less than like five foot eight manlets, because uh, t- to him that's what they are. They're like little men. Oh, uh, that's and a, I've, I've picked up on that. I, I, I kind of love that. Yeah, it's adorable, but it's also it's masculine. <laughs>
Like not... I mean, he's the thing is, he's not like a big like uh, lunkhead or anything. He's he's a Warhammer geek like me. Mm. He's um he's one of these people that sort of has conned his way into people letting people think that he's just this, you know, this this hard nut soldier when he's actually a fact he's like a you know a kitten right. on the inside. And you similarly have conned people into thinking that you're a you know cool, attractive twenty something. When in fact they're going to cotton on eventually. That I, it's all I can say. Uh, yeah, uh, this this con has lasted surprisingly long. <laughs> you have like imposter syndrome for the general world. Oh god, I had imposter syndrome the other day about having imposter syndrome. <laughs> like I, I felt like I wasn't advanced enough to get imposter syndrome. Oh dear, um, it's, it's there's the levels to this. So not only do you not feel completely comfortable in the scientific milieu, but you don't feel uncomfortable enough to hang out with the uncomfortable people and claim ownership of that. Yeah, I, I, I felt like I couldn't engage with people who were complaining about imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that just means so, you've made yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's gone so far around it's it's a cyclic boundary condition it's gone so far around yeah. it's come back to being okay <laughs> that's yeah imposter it's, syndrome is the new normal it's like how everyone was complaining about or, or everyone was exalting and being introverted on the internet for a while to the point where if you weren't mm. introverted you actually ended up the outcast that's funny i actually felt less imposter syndrome surrounded by a bunch of like proper youtubers at next up than i feel like telling anybody in the real world that i am at all involved on youtube hmm it was like being around people who were like decades ahead of me in terms of like internet presence i guess uh i felt no imposter syndrome about calling myself a content creator but then if i'm just like talking to like friends and family in the real world i stray away from it yeah i i feel feel exactly the same actually uh which is why i'm really looking forward to you know being more fully engaged in the community and doing collaborations with people because i feel like the only way to cure it is just to do it more and more in the same way that i felt a lot less like an academic imposter when i went to scientific conferences and you realize that everyone is who's giving a talk is bricking it and it's not just you uh you know they feel like oh they're gonna ask that question they're gonna ask the one question that i can't answer Mm -hmm. i know it's coming and you know they never do no um, because because nobody knows that you're thinking that and the only question anybody ever asks is how does this relate relate to the one thing i'm interested in right that's yeah, the entirety of scientific conferences i did have there was one conference i was at it was in vienna um uh, at this session on oh it was like mid-latitude dynamics or something so it was quite a general meteorology session and this girl gave a, a presentation she was a phd student about my age now um and an academic after her talk just sort of said so what you found is basically already common knowledge and your whole project is totally useless Oof. is that what you're saying <laughs> wow um and the poor girl like was crying at the lectern <laughs> Uh, and had to be let off, and that's the, but that's the one incident where I've ever seen where it hasn't been, you know, just perfectly fine. Every other conference I've been to, every other session, no awkwardness, everything. Every, and if because normally, if people see that you're being, you, you know, you're under stress, and mm-hmm. you know, you're like, oh, I don't feel so comfortable, people back off. Um, that guy didn't because he was a bit of an arsehole. Yeah, but apparently he was known as being a bit of an arsehole. So, and that's kind of a jerk you know. thing to do too, because I I think science needs to care more about null results and finding out that oh it is actually what we found instead of this constant search for novelty right well that's what i'm hoping in the case of my thesis because it's almost certain that my hypothesis is wrong (laughs) (laughs) so i'm hoping that null results are a-okay uh when it comes to my examiners what uh what is your hypothesis oh okay how much detail do you want 
Um, um, how much? How much time? We've do got, we have? We got like ten minutes left, so an appropriate okay, percentage uh, of that. The really short version <laughs> is that uh, there's there's different levels in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. There's the the troposphere, which is where we live, mm-hmm. which extends to about ten kilometers up, and then above that you've got the stratosphere, which is, goes from ten to about fifty kilometers, and then above that you've got other layers that I'm not looking at. Mm. But um, the thing that I'm looking at is the most violent event that happens in the atmosphere uh, is what's known as a sudden stratospheric warming, where over the course of about three or four days, you get warmings of up to 50 degrees happening. Wow. Um, so it's, it's, uh, the original name was explosive warmings because it's, it's just so sudden. Um, and it's been observed that these things, these events, have an impact on surface weather. Like we know that they do. Okay. Um, we know that they they shift um, storms further south, and that they increase the likelihood of cold weather events in Europe and things like that. But we don't have a mechanism for how. Uh, effectively, my thesis is is proposing a mechanism and then testing it. Um, and the mechanism that we're proposing is basically that if you look at the North Pole, um, the area underneath the polar vortex, which is about sixty five degrees north um to the pole you can kind of treat as being like a homogenous zone a bit like a plunger okay. um and the effect of these events the sudden stratospheric warmings is to um control the height of, of the plunger if it was like a piston it's like raising and lowering the ceiling um of it and doing that causes pressure underneath it to change and it's that pressure change that we see in the statistical kind of um uh, what's it called? What am I looking for? Composite variable that we normally look at it with. Um, that's the, the actual physical basis behind it. Um, so all, all, of, a, all of a sudden, a, a big like wall of air slams down on the North Pole, and that like shoots yeah, storms well, uh, all over the world. That's what you're saying. Effectively, um, like the, the polar vortex, which is this big donut of air in in the in the stratosphere, um, it controls. It, it's controlled by waves breaking, um, waves that propagate through the atmosphere up, and then they break and they act, act as like a break on the atmosphere. And the act of those waves breaking um, basically moves air in and out of the polar region. Um, if there's lots of wave breaking, it acts as a big break, and lots of air mass suddenly piles on into the into the pole. Okay. Um, if you if you break it to the point where it stops, it's like a huge truckload of air just being dumped into into the into the polar regions. Mm. Um, and what I really need is like a physical kind of demonstration of this to make a video about, and I haven't really thought of one yet. Mm. <laughs> so it's, I have to keep doing this long winded explanation. Have you tried um, going into yeah, space and building a little globe with an atmosphere? That would be. The, I mean. That would be the logical thing to do, <laughs> I think. Um, this is the problem, though, is that I don't get to do anything practical in my research because it's on such a ludicrously large scale that yeah. you know, nobody's going to want to make an experiment to do with it. Um, but yeah, that, that's the short version. We're, we're, we're proposing this mechanism. No one has actually proposed a mechanism to date because this thing, the the influence of it on the surface was only identified about 15 years ago. Mm. Um, and in uh, physics terms, that's what I'm, I'm, sure, as I'm sure you know, that's a really not very long yeah in um, physics terms like i mean in my field like high energy theory nothing's happened in 40 years so right i mean we were all born like 15 years ago so yeah that's true yeah um <laughs> so it, it, it's a very new thing and we're kind of the first i think to propose a workable hypothesis that actually has testable outcomes because hmm. there is a theory at the moment but it's a bit like string theory and that there's no testable predictions right. that would distinguish it from anything else um so we're trying to you know Propose something that you could at least test. So a null result would 
kind of be fine by me because, you know, at least we tried. <laughs> <laughs> and also because you're not necessarily trying to build a physics career out of it. Yeah, exactly. Which kind of frees me from the responsibility <laughs> of trying to be right. <laughs> do you, I should be a politician. Do, do you ever, ever wonder about like, like the opportunity cost of like all the, like the institutions that have gotten you to this point? Like, this is something that I've, I've wondered about, like, do the people who brought me all the way, you know, through my undergrad and masters on like scholarships and research grants and stuff like that, do they resent that now I went off and I'm not being a physicist? Well, I feel like they would resent it only if they viewed um, hardcore academic work as the sole useful outcome. Mm. Um, in the same way that going to university, you know, just doing an undergraduate degree, um, it's not like if you do a degree in maths and you don't go on to become the next Carl Frederick Gauss, it was just a waste of time, mm -hmm. you know? Um, it, people are funding you not for the outcome of uh, the work. In a way, they're funding you because they know that if they invest money in you and time in you, that that will then pay dividends in what you go on to do afterwards, whatever it may be. Mm. Um, I certainly feel like from my degree and my PhD, it's taught me so much about time management, about confidence, um, about, you know, it's just changed me in so many ways that whatever I go on to do afterwards will be better than it would have been otherwise i was gonna say great i'm not gonna <laughs> jinx it um it's gonna be and, great and, you know, and, believe and, and, it it's gonna be great trust me it's gonna be great mm. um and it's gonna add to the human experience and you know that's kind of what i hope to be able to do with my videos um so i don't worry about people because for me the money came from the eu um which you know <laughs> don't have to worry about that I, anymore I, I, yeah slight, slightly sore point um <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, you know, I, I feel like that was an appropriate use of EU money in that it was a tiny, tiny proportion of the budget uh, that was put into me and entrusted in me to do something with it. And I did produce scientific work with it whilst I was receiving the money. Mm -hmm. But then afterwards, I can go on and use those skills and improve, you know, the human existence in other ways. Yeah. And I suppose that the only way that, the, that anyone ever finds the next Gauss is to, you know, train 100 potential Gausses and have some of them decide this isn't for me and I want to make YouTube videos. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, were you ever tempted to stay in academia? Um, I think the only thing that would bring me back, uh, I don't know, I was pretty sick of research by the time I was done my master's. And I, I definitely felt some, some of what you were talking about in your last vlog about feeling like I didn't particularly belong there. Like I was, I sort of had one foot in and then the other foot was in creative stuff and we were already doing music videos and I was had already started acapella science. Um, mm. so I, I think I've, I've often wondered whether anything would bring me back to do a PhD. And I think it would have to be some big fundamental discovery that I just needed to know because that was my whole purpose of being in school in the first place. It was a very selfish need to know what was at the bottom of everything. Um, mm. and so once I got there and I realized, well, we don't really know what's at the bottom of everything and everyone's just scrambling around <laughs> down here and your job for the next <laughs> 40 years is to scramble in some particular direction and hope you don't just hit a bunch of walls, um, which, but, hmm. but that'll probably happen. Um, that was less interesting to me. So I think if, like, if in theoretical physics they really solve something big and I think, well, I need to know this and the only way to really get my head around it is to do a PhD... Then I might do a PhD, but otherwise I'm pretty happy where I am, I think. Yeah. 
Um, it's definitely something that I feel a slight pang of when I get people messaging me saying, oh, I want to go to Berkeley and do physics. I want to go to Cambridge and do physics. Uh, you know, I want to become mm-hmm. a theoretical physicist. I almost want to say, are you sure? <laughs> you know, like, it's great for a time. Do the undergrad, do your master's, maybe even do a PhD if you really want to. But like, you don't really know what you're getting into. Mm. Um, mm. I mean, I've never go, I'd never dissuade someone because if that's what they want to do, if that's their dream fine that's that's great i think it's fantastic to have a purpose Mm -hmm. but i do sometimes feel with these kids saying they want to become a theoretical physicist it's like you don't know what the field is like (laughs) and you can't know um you don't know how much of a mess it is and how we need Feynman to come back like the second coming of Feynman. (laughs) that's true but i think that the only way that you're like the only way that you can if you're doing this to be a theoretical physicist you have to give it a go right and you like you need to you need to find out if it is for you and there are some people who like it genuinely is the perfect thing for them. Um, and this was one thing that I like the thing that really dissuaded me from continuing on because I had sort of this feeling in myself that maybe just everybody feels like this, like everybody's super frustrated and like they're just, they're just going into it. Cause it's like, well, I'm going to, I guess I'm good at this. I can probably make a living at this. Let's do it. Um, and then I talked to my supervisor and I asked him like, what, what makes this worth doing for you? And his answer was, there's nothing I would rather be doing with my life. Like, there's nothing more fun that I could possibly think of than getting up and coming to work every day and getting to solve these weird, random mathematical puzzles that maybe have no purpose for anybody ever. But I get to be the one to struggle with them and solve them, right? And knowing that those people do exist is great because it frees you up if if you're not one of those people to think, okay, this field is in good hands. And I can I can now go and do what I what I love. Yeah, it's it's this weird feeling of like understanding why somebody is totally passionate about it uh, about a field, and it could be being an actor or being a politician or a sportsman, a sports in particular, I think. But equally, having no desire to do it for yourself yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> but glad that they do it because like there would have been a duller place if there weren't actors and, and sportsmen and you know and, and that but you don't feel the need to join them in that endeavor right well um i think we're gonna we're gonna be wrapping up this podcast but thank you so much for coming on um and i urge you oh, it was my pleasure was... yeah i urge you all success in your in your endeavor to go on and do video things and make the human experience great again um, well, I, I'm sure that our paths will cross again in that. I mean, we we were talking on Twitter about a potential collaboration. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, secret secrets. Which, so shh, don't don't don't, yeah, don't let don't it slip. Don't mention that one. Never tease something that's not already recorded. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, where can people find you um, on the internet? Uh, so I am. Oh god, I changed this recently. So on iamyoutube.com forward slash Simon Oxfizz, and that's Simon O X F P H Y S because it was Simon Oxford Physics. But I recently changed my channel name to just Simon Clark because it's a million times easier. Yeah. But I think that URL still works. And that's also my username on Twitter and Instagram and Goodreads. And I have a public Facebook page, which I think is just YouTube Simon. So if you, if you just Google Simon Clark, you're probably fine. Probably. Yeah, you're, you're, you the most, you're the most popular Simon Clark in the world. When I, when I Googled you earlier to try and show a photo of you to one of my friends, uh, a bunch of like hunky models showed up first and then you were right after them. Oh yeah, no, no, that is true. There's there's a model called Simon Clark. There's an author and I think there was a midfielder for a, an English uh, Premier League team 
uh, like Middlesbrough, maybe. <laughs> uh, who's also got money. So maybe if you ta- maybe actually maybe do Simon Clark YouTube, then you'll definitely. Get me. <laughs> All right, excellent. And we'll also leave links to some stuff in the description of this uh, this episode. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you want to follow us on all platforms, you got uh, at Down with Talking on Twitter. Um, you can leave reviews on this show for this show on iTunes, or you can leave comments on the SoundCloud page. Um, we're still not on Stitcher yet, but probably we should be. We'll figure that out Yeah. Um, if there's any demand. Uh, remember to share the show with a friend who you think might enjoy listening to it. Yeah. And uh, go to patreon.com slash up for discussion if you want to pledge to support us financially. That would be super. Yeah. You can follow me at Tom Zalatni. And me at Acapella Science pretty much everywhere or YouTube.com slash Acapella Science to get sweet musical jams involving Simon occasionally. At least once. Once in a blue moon. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe again. I hope so. Yeah, I really hope that one. I know not to tease, that, you know, because it isn't filmed, but it'd be really cool if we can get that one working. Yeah, yeah that would be, be fun. All right. See? Well, uh, until next week, guys, it's, uh, it's been fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks again.